Well, good morning. This uh, morning, our text is going to be from 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses uh, 28 through 310. Lost my place as well. There we go. 1 John chapter 2, 28. We're going to go all the way through verses 310. Here's the word of the Lord. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one that doesn't love his brother. Fraud, hypocrite, Overprivileged and cheater are some of the uh, many comments and claims lobbied at the students, parents, admissions counselors, uh, athletic departments, and college admissions advisors at prestigious Ivy League universities all throughout our country. What I'm describing, it was a sting operation in which over 50 people were indicted called Operation Varsity Blues. Operation Varsity Blues was the uncovering of years of deep fraud where very wealthy parents paid for their uh, high school seniors, their children going into college, they paid for them to get into universities that they were not qualified for. This deception ran real deep. Some of these students claimed to be athletes in these very niche sports where not a lot of attention was brought to. Other students who didn't go the school route had their ACT scores and SAT scores changed by their parents. Some of these students thought they were smart enough. They took these tests, they spent time, they labored over it, but the proctor would change their scores Or when they were going to turn in the test, someone would slip in answers and throw away the students' answers. So uh, the students who knew about the fraud, whenever it was uncovered, they were mortified. They had been caught inside of a lie. The students who had no clue this happened were absolutely destroyed when they found out that they had been living a lie. They'd been living a lie. 
It's very hard um, by appearance to tell who's worthy to be on the university. It's very hard seeing students knowing what's beneath them if they have the intelligence or the credentials to be here, but inwardly, these students were frauds. Think about it. Who really wants to live a lie? Who sets out to be a fraud? And most of us have this visceral reaction when we hear stories like this because although we live it imperfectly, we value truth and we value authenticity. And for millions of Americans who claim to be Christian, it's very important that we examine our beliefs and make sure that we are honestly and authentically in Christ because our eternity depends on it. It's much more than just what people see on the exterior, but our eternity hangs in the balance that we possess what we profess. This is what John's encouraging to do in our text this morning. Their church had gone through a nasty split. The people who had left the church claimed to be real Christians. They claimed to have the correct faith. They professed a true Christianity, but inwardly they did not possess the biblical faith that the entire Bible, Christ, and the Apostle John is teaching. So John is teaching those Christians left behind how they can be sure that they are authentic Christians. And if they are doing that exercise, if they are trying to determine if they are true Christians, having uh, lived during the lifetime of Jesus, it's incumbent upon us that we ask the same question. How do we know that we are, in fact, real Christians? John answers this in our text in two ways. He says, how you relate to God and how you relate to sin will reveal to us if we are in fact true Christians. And we see John teaching how true believers relate to God starting in chapter three, verse one. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. One of the primary ways that you know that you are a real Christian is that you relate to God as his child. And just like your natural birth from your earthly parents, you did not uh, notify them and let them know that you're ready to be born. You did not tell them, now's a great time in human history for you to come together with dad and let's make a family have me. You did not do that. You had no control over that. So it is with your heavenly father. You didn't decide to become a Christian. God called you, the text is teaching us, he called you from spiritual death to life and worked in you salvation. God worked in you faith. God worked and moved in you to trust in him. This spiritual rebirth is supernatural. God breaks in through us. He breaks into our spiritually dead hearts and he renews us. He brings us uh, from death to life spiritually. This is where we see a lot of these phrases in the Bible where you're a, a new person born again. You are reborn spiritually. And because God's done that work to you and in you, 
God now relates to you as a father, and you relate to God as his child. Now, this is no easy truth to wrap our minds around. This is very perplexing. Being born again is is challenging to really think through, and it's been challenging people for a long time. Think of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus uh, in John's gospel. Uh, Nicodemus, the text says, was a ruler of the Jews, He was a biblical scholar. He intellectually believed in God. Outwardly, he appeared as one to have saving faith that God had been teaching all the way from Genesis to Jesus' time. But there was a problem. He didn't have the spiritual eyes to see. He didn't have the faith to see what Jesus meant in John 3, 3. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, inside of this interaction, is is confused. What do you mean? I've got to go back into my mother's womb? Surely, as an adult, that is impossible. What Nicodemus didn't have was, in this moment, was God's spirit living in him, giving him eyes of faith to see who God was in Jesus and also his need and understanding to be born again. Nicodemus culturally had all the signs of a follower of God. He had all of the trappings that would say, yep, that guy follows Israel's God. He follows Yahweh, God's family name. He dressed, he talked, he acted right. He, he sang the right songs. He did all the right things. He knew his Enneagram really well. He had the right essential oils and posted the right photos to Instagram of his Bible studies, right? He did all the real things where you would see, oh, that person has a really strong faith. But he never had the eyes to see Jesus as his Savior. This is why we've got to examine our profession and to make sure that we have possession of real saving faith. And God, through John, very clearly leaves no room for ambiguity here. He shares that those who have God's spirit in them recognize the astonishing, the astonishing love that God has for them. Look at chapter three, verse five. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. You know this, and in him there is no sin. You see, to be born again means that you understand what John is teaching here. You understand what Paul was teaching in Ephesians chapter two, that you were once a child of wrath because of your sin. You came into this world a sinner, and it's only by trusting in Jesus him living for you, dying for you, and rising again for you is the only way that you can be brought from a child of wrath to a child of God. And just like growing up around your earthly parents, you take on family traits. You take on family characteristics. And real trust and real faith born by God's spirit moves in you. It changes your heart and it works out side of you, the family characteristics and the family traits, and you start to look and become more and more like Jesus 
even so imperfectly. Look at chapter two, verse 29. John teaches us this. He says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He repeats in 3.7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So two positives, and then he goes to a negative. Chapter three, verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So what is practicing righteousness? What does that mean? Well, John is teaching that if the Spirit is living in us, we will have a new heart. We will have new affections and new desires. That's what our assurance of pardon was teaching us this morning. And what this does is it produces in us the ability to obey God's instructions and laws for our life, albeit imperfectly. Our new heart produces in us the lifeblood to follow God's law for our lives, to follow God's holy standards. You can call them the family rules, so to speak. And then as you attempt to follow God's law for your life, when you fail, you turn in repentance. And repentance isn't just I'm sorry and you continue to do the same behavior. Repentance is confession and turning from that sin to Christ in new obedience with new joy and new faith. This ongoing rhythm of faith and repentance, faith and repentance, this is the hallmark of true faith. This is the hallmark of true faith. Now, intellectually, we're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm doing that. Great. But what's the environment in which God is calling us to practice righteousness in? It's in close human relationships. Close human relationships. This is what we see at the end of verse 10 where he says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You can almost feel Jesus speaking through John, summing up the law, saying to uh, the, the law summarized by loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Your relationship with God will work its way out into your relationships around you. So to practice righteousness Inside of human relationships with other sinners is super easy. I'm joking. It's incredibly hard. It is super challenging. It is very, very, very difficult to live like this because relationships are messy. People are messy. We are complex. We are sinners. And you put us around other sinners, pain and trauma and things just happen. But the good news is that God's got you around people right now in all space and time for your good and his glory. The people that you love and get life from and the people that zap all the life out of you and challenge you day in and day out, God's got you around those people for a reason. It's for your good and his glory. It's to make you look more like Jesus. Relationships, close relationships, they stretch us, they grow us, they challenge us. And most of our relationships exist in relational gray area. Most things in life are not black and white, although we try to make them as black and white as humanly possible so that we can understand and control things. But life exists in this very challenging gray area. It's in this environment, it's in this complex human environment 
or it will be impossible. And I said that, impossible for you to remain a Christian if God isn't working in you, growing you, challenging you, protecting you. If God's spirit is not living in you, you will eventually be exposed. It's similar to the street performers in Times Square who dress up like Cookie Monster and Elmo and all of these characters, and they do all these little songs and dances, and they're trying to get you to take a photo with them. They are competing with the other street performers. If you're there, stay away from them, because here's what happened. Outwardly, they appeared like these lovable characters, but a few years ago, there was a string of arrests of these characters. Now, if you're here and you watch Sesame Street and you like Elmo and you like all these characters, I'm not talking about the people you see on TV. I'm talking about people who put costumes on who do this as their job. Does that make sense? My little ones, y'all know I'm not talking about Elmo. Okay, all right, here we go. See, smiles. All right, here's what happened. Legislation changed and it allowed the street performers to be a little bit more aggressive in how they sought to uh, earn your money. What happened was uh, several of these characters crossed the line and they got in a lot of trouble. Spider-Man punched a police officer in the face after he was attempted to be arrested for harassing a tourist. Cookie Monster was arrested after he body-checked a two-year-old to the ground whenever the two-year-old came up to take a picture of him. Completely checked the two-year-old. Mario was arrested for sexually assaulting a woman. And Elmo was arrested for shouting anti-Semitic slurs to Jewish tourists. These characters have fallen on hard times, y'all. Tufts psychology professor Sam Summers noted this that when we are anonymous, the unwritten rules of society fall by the wayside and we engage in acts that we wouldn't usually want to be held accountable for. Masks are a good physical substantiation of that. The masks blur the line between action and consequence. And y'all, this is a lesson for all of us. It's really easy to wear a Christian mask on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about the COVID mask. I'm talking about an actual uh, invisible mask that we wear and paint this picture like everything's okay and everything's buttoned up and everything is together. But the real test and authenticity of your faith is what comes outside of you when people fail you? What comes out of you when somebody you love and trust backstabs you? What comes out of you when somebody you love and trust airs your dirty laundry out into your group of friends? What happens when somebody you love or know gossips or slanders or lies about you? What happens when people you love and trust break really clear boundaries to just try to hurt you? What comes out of you? Well, one or two things are going to come out. You can respond like a child of God or you can respond not like a child of God. You can respond like a child of God in difficult human-to-human relationships and you can seek to follow Jesus and you can move with grace and patience and mercy and wisdom and wisdom 
to forgive the worst of offenses that are being lobbied at you. You can seek to forgive and restore relationships as far as it depends on you, but also recognizing who is trying to hurt you. Recognize that if people are trying to destroy you, wisdom dictates that you put healthy boundaries around yourself and around your family. Because if people are willing to destroy those boundaries, they might do it again. So we're called to be wise in human relationships, not gullible. You can respond like a child of God, or you can act like the street performer. You can act like the person in the costume. You can wear a mask who parades around on Sunday like you are a uh, wonderful Christian, but when life gets difficult, the real you comes out. When someone uh, sins against you, or maybe even real evil, you reciprocate evil for evil. You lash out. You lose your temper. Oh, that's just such and such being such and such. Make sure he's fed. Make sure uh, you don't do X, Y, Z before he's had his coffee. Uh, another way that we try to do this is when things are getting outside of our control, we start to manipulate people and things and situations. Or we just seek outright vengeance for people who have hurt us. That's a way we can live as an imposter. The other way is just to hide behind the Christian mask, is to completely put that mask on and retreat in the name of making peace. It's completely moving into isolation when people sin against you because fear of man overrides practicing righteousness. Fear of man allows you just to say the Christian cliche phrases because you don't want to approach somebody who sinned and hurt you with truth and love. Being a child of God means that we are wise and gentle. We're wise and gentle. We don't meet evil with evil, nor do we retreat as insipid, spineless jellyfish when life gets difficult. Being a child of God means we strive for balance between the two, just like Jesus, and repent when we start to become imbalanced. Some of us need more spine. Some of us need less spine. It's not for me to figure out. But if you are a child of God, if God's spirit is living in you, he will always draw you back to balance. He will draw you back to center when you start to stray. So I've asked, how do, how do you know if you're a real Christian? Well, first we looked at how we relate to God. Secondly, we're gonna look at how we relate to sin. And John teaches us this starting in chapter three, verse four. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 3.6, he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John leaves no room for confusion here again. A child of God is one in whom God's spirit is living in them. And if God's spirit's living in you, you will not practice sinning. The children of God have lives marked by faith and repentance, whereas those whose lives are not marked by ongoing faith and repentance 
and unrepentant sin and fraudulent faith, they've got another spiritual father. And we see who that father is in chapter three, verse eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. Chapter three, verse 10 says, it is evident who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John is teaching something very important here. He's going all the way back to the book of Genesis, and it's important that we get this. John is teaching that you are either spiritually a part of one or two families. You're either part of the family of God or you're part of the family of Satan. And these spiritual lines have been moving ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and were cast out of the garden. Adam and Eve, in Genesis 4, we learned that they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain represents the sons of Satan. He represents the sons of evil that always try to destroy the sons of God. After Abel's death, Eve had another son, Seth. And it's through Seth's line where Jesus would be born from. Seth represents the children of God, the righteous line. And we have this in the genealogies, and genealogies are very important. Look at Luke chapter three, verse 38. This is recorded Jesus's lineage all the way back to Seth and Adam. It says, Jesus, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And this background gives us greater context into what John is teaching here. The children of Satan will follow in their father's footsteps. And they do this by sinning in unrepentant fashions. They lie. They're deceivers. Some appear to be outwardly really good people like those New York street performers, but given the right time and opportunity, they will crush and destroy and manipulate and fight back against anyone who stands in their way from getting what they want. This is what Paul's teaching about Satan in 2 Corinthians 11. He says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Outwardly, these people look the part, but inwardly, they are not reborn. Their family is of another lineage. Now, confusion exists here, not from the text, but from living in close human relationships. Confusion exists because sometimes genuine believers act like children of Satan. This is the already and not yet that the Bible talks about. We are saved children of God, but sometimes we have this sin nature that comes out of us and overrides in us. But there's a difference. If God's spirit is living in you, when that sin nature rises up, the Holy Spirit will fight back against that. You will be brought to repentance. God's spirit will not let you continue in that a sinful practice for long. God disciplines those whom he loves like his children. God's spirit is constantly working in the lives of his children and he's uh, chipping away at and destroying the sin that still exists in us. And that's the difference. The children of Satan, they have no sustained patterns of faith and repentance. This is why we are not the ultimate judges of people's salvation. Time will tell who are children of God and who are children of Satan. 
And this reminds me of the phrase, particularly when you doubt your salvation, when you doubt how uh, you feel like you've just gone too far. This phrase, repeated repentance, is progress. Repeated repentance is progress. This repeated repentance is alive in the children of God, but it does not exist in the children of Satan. And this is what Jesus was teaching with the parable of the sower and the soil in Matthew 13. This is why the children of Satan can for a time appear to have faith. And it might spring up for a little bit, but life, Satan, and the worries of this world destroy what was never real faith at all. It was the feeling of faith and not saving faith. More of a flash in the pan than a lifelong day-by-day molding, changing, slow, and growing more and more into the image of Jesus. You see, you can act and dress and sing and say, do whatever cultural American Christianity expects out of you. Most of it I find to be humorous. You can fake it for a time, but eventually your true colors will show. It's like the Egyptian student uh, who took a photo and it went viral. The student went to the zoo in Cairo and he came up to the zebra exhibit and noticed the zebras looked really funny. Uh, He's seen enough magazines to know like this zebra wasn't very zebra-like. And as he took a closer inspection, he figured out what the zoo had been doing. They were taking donkeys, spray painting them white and putting stripes all over them and presenting these spray painted donkeys as zebras. This is the photo that he took. I encourage you to take a close look. That is a clear donkey face. If you've ever seen that just dumb look of a donkey in a farm, that's just a donkey all day long. And the poor guy or girl has been spray painted. I feel really bad for it. Spray paint smells terrible. This photo got posted. Uh, Zoologists, veterinarians, they all chimed in. Overwhelming evidence shows that that was in fact a donkey spray painted to look like a zebra and not a zebra in reality. What this means for us is a harsh truth. What this means for us is that in life, we will encounter, and maybe some here today, we will encounter some elaborately disguised or poorly disguised Christian donkeys. It's very likely that we will encounter people who are Christians in name only, who act, say, and profess Christ, but do not possess Christ. And that happens. However, if you're here today and you're worried whether or not you're in Christ, that's a great indication that God's spirit works in you. If God's spirit's not in you, you could care less about this stuff. The children of God, they will persevere because God teaches us that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, that nothing will snatch you out of his hand, and that includes your own sin. God is the one at work in you, and God will change you and sustain you. And we want to live lives that honor God through holy living, through practicing righteousness, not because we want to impress people here on earth, but because we want to honor God and bring him glory, but also because uh, there is an, 
there is a heavenly treasure that awaits God's children. Look at verses, chapter three, verse two. He says, beloved, we are children of God now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, this eternal perspective and glory that awaits, it drives and motivates and encourages us to live our lives out in faith and repentance because we have an eternal home waiting for us. You see, our motivation for holiness in this life comes from keeping our eyes focused on the life that is to come, a real place where we'll see our Father, we will see our Lord and Savior face to face, where he'll welcome us home, he'll wipe the tears from our eyes, and we will get to rest with him forever. So where are you this morning? Is your faith professed and possessed? Are you born again? Is God's spirit living in you? Are you a child of God? If you're here and there's any doubt whatsoever, I would encourage you to please come to Christ this morning. Leave no room for doubt anymore. God, save me, make me clean, make me new. Change my heart. The same goes for those who are here this morning. They're assured of their salvation. They know God deeply. They repent of their sins. And and you're here this morning, and I guarantee that you need God's grace and mercy and love too because you fail from time to time. The same faith that saves sinners sustains his saints. So for all of us here, no matter where you are, come to Christ Drink freely from the well of his mercy and grace and leave refreshed, not just today, but for eternity that awaits. Let us pray. Father, your love for sinners is astounding. Father, that you would send your son to come to live and die and rise again, not for pretty good people, but for enemies and that you would seek to turn us from your enemies into your family, and you would keep us there because we often stray and wonder. We want to leave, and you continue to draw us back time and time again. Father, thank you for what you're doing in us. For those who are doubting this morning, Father, I pray that they would cling to you, that you would uh, work in their hearts new life. For those who maybe heard this message before, but this is the first time they've heard and seen with eyes of your spirit, Would they please not live this out in isolation? Would they reach out to me or Pastor Keith? Would they find a community group? Would they find community that can nourish and help grow them in their relationship with you? God, thank you for the work you do for us constantly. Thank you for sustaining us. Would we look more and smell more like you for your glory and for for the good of those around us? In Jesus' name, amen.